sure you're all awake now after that. I uh, hope you guys are having a good worship time as, as we give our hearts to God in everything that we do. Uh, we give our hearts in worship through song and through giving and, and through communion. Um, and I pray that we continue to give our hearts through uh, the scripture today. Um, but we are at the end of this series. Um, as, as Drew talked about, uh, next week is, starts a brand new series in, a, in, in year two of Elevate Christian Church, and we're going to celebrate that uh, together. Um, but so far this series, we have been talking about the second half of the Ten Commandments. A couple months ago, we did the first five of the Ten Commandments, and this whole time we've been trying to find this path between the relationship with God and the relationship with others. How the first five have to do with our relationship with God, and the second five have to do with our relationship with one another. And it's very important that we do the first five first, making sure that God is the center of everything that we do, so that we can treat others the way that God would like us to treat others. And it kind of makes sense if you go from one to ten, and we've been trying to find this path on going from God to others. And uh, we're kind of bookending this Ten Commandments with this main point. Pleasure comes from God's path and not from the world. That's the main point today. If you remember, all of this started setting up the, uh, the, the first five was talking about how God wanted to make sure that his relationship with his creation, his relationship with his people started off on the right foot. So he gave this command in Exodus 20 that said, you shall have no other gods before me. That's rule number one. He wanted to make sure that as they moved forward through the Exodus, moving forward as they were building Israel, moving forward as being God's chosen people, that everything that they did was going to flow through the mindset of Exodus 23, which is, you should have no other gods before me. We are going to follow God with everything that we have. It needed to be the most important thing of all commands, which is why he gave that first. And as we know, whenever you give rules in some sort of set, especially more than like two or three rules, those teachers out there understand you can't give a bunch of rules to kids because they, they slowly start to zone out as you continue down the rules. And I did youth ministry for six years. And I know that when I, at the beginning of my lesson, I try to give a joke, try to give a good story, and the kids are very engaged. But as soon as I said, open up your Bibles, you kind of see this glazed look over. And you tried to end your, your sermon or your little teaching with something that would capture them and direct them back to the main point. And I think that's what God was trying to do at the end of the Ten Commandments. See, this is our scripture for today. It says this, Exodus 20, 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's what he bookend the Ten Commandments with. See, we get the word covet, um, uh, and this is what the, the actual word means, if you see it here on the screen. It's, it, it means this, to desire, to crave, to find pleasure in, to behold, to desire, uh, desirable, sorry, and desire passionately. The strong desire to behold and have something that does not belong to you. Whether it is a, somebody that is physically connected with, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, uh, talking about, we've talked about stealing, um, taking other people's stuff, but it goes a little bit deeper than just stealing. 
It goes a little bit deeper and, and starts before you actually go and do the act. See, coveting has to do more with our soul and our hearts rather than the action itself. And I think that's why God bookended the, the Ten Commandments with something that started with the direction and something that ended with the hearts. I would say that the most important scripture when it comes to how we should treat one another has to be broken and, and, and put into the New Testament like a plague. Ranging from, from scheming, where we, we see people who want to get their way in certain things, and we see people go and actually get as far as killing people in the New Testament. It seems like this, this coveting and this bookending of trying to make sure that we follow on God's path is kind of just ripping through the entire Bible. I mean, we see it at the very beginning. We see the story of Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve, where Cain, Cain's job, the son of, of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, we see that Cain's job was to be the person who took over the crops. He, he, he worked the field. He made sure that from the crops perspective, he was doing his job. And then you have, um, you have, Abel, I don't know why I'm forgetting it's right in front of me. Abel, that's the second son, uh, he was in charge of the animals. He was in charge of all the livestock and making sure that he tended to that. And they both had their second and, and, and separate jobs when it came to taking care of the family. And we see that coveting really enters into the picture when it, when it came time to give the offering back to God. Now, the offering was something uh, that was very, very important in the relationship with God, where you made sure that he was the first in everything that you did. Just like in the commandment one, you should have no other gods before me. He wanted to make sure you, he was the first in everything that you did. So you would take your first and your best, and you would give it to God. Now, Abel gave the best fatted calf that he had. Now, that the fat part of the meat, the guys who like to grill out and smoke, you understand that the fat is what gives the flavor. The fat is what it, that kind of brings the whole meat together. If you just have a piece of meat that has no fat in it, it can become dry and have no flavor immediately. So he brought the best fatted part of the meat and gave it to God. And then you have the other brother who just took some of his crops, not his best crops, but just some of his crops, and he gave it to God as a form of worship. And we see that God really looked at, in the favor of, of Abel because he gave the best. And we see that in Cain's, in the Cain situation, he didn't really look favorably on him. And Cain, Cain became angry because he desired that favor of God. So he took his brother into the field and he murdered him because he wanted to see and he wanted to experience the favor in God's eyes. And if there was nobody else besides him, he thought he would be the only one that would receive that favor. If you go a little bit further in Scripture, you see Jacob and Esau. Another brother situation. Now this is a little bit of a different situation because at this point in Scripture, there was something that was set up from generation to generation called the birthright. This is where the firstborn son very important, the son part, was going to inherit and continue the, the family business from generations to come to try to make sure that he took care of the next generation and the generation after that 
And whenever the father or the person in charge of the household could no longer take care of the family, it was passed down to the firstborn son so he could continue on in the business. Now, the second son in this situation really desired that birthright. He wanted to find pleasure in that birthright, and he was going to stop at nothing until he received that. So when the firstborn came back from hunting, he was really famished, he was weak, and he wanted something to fill up his stomach. Now, the second son was really good at cooking. He was really good at house stuff. He really bonded with his mom, who kind of took him under his wing, and he, he kind of did the chores that his, mo- his mother uh, took a hold of. And he saw an opportunity when his brother came into the home and said, I need something to eat. And he saw the opportunity to make a trade with his brother, where he valued himself over his brother. And he said, I will give you this bowl of stew if you give me the birthright. And at the weakest moment of the oldest son, he decided to give up his birthright for a small bowl of stew, where coveting took a hold of that, brother, that brother's household. And it was never the same after that. And the most famous one of all was David and Uriah. We like to call it the the conversation and the the interaction between David and Bathsheba, but it really, the coveting part has to do with David and Uriah. See, King David was in charge of an entire nation. We, we, We lift up King David as though he was this great king, which he was, but he had a lot of downfalls in his reign. And the most famous one was how he had coveted somebody else's wife. In Scripture, it says that David was back at home. It was during a time when kings went off to war, and he decided to stay home instead of to go out to war with the rest of his troops. And during this time, he was alone on top of his rooftop, and he looked down upon another rooftop and saw another man's wife. And he wanted to have a pleasurable moment with that woman, so he asked somebody to go get her and bring her back to where he lived. And a few weeks later, later, they realized that Bathsheba, the person that he slept with, was pregnant. And he was going to do whatever it took to make sure that nobody found out about this pregnancy. But the weird thing about this situation is that if you think about kingships, the ones who lived really close to the kingdom, the, one that, the people that lived really close to the king, like in nearsight, were probably pretty good friends with this king. They probably were, were close enough where they trusted each other that, that nothing was going to happen if you lived next door to the king of all of these people. So David tried to do a bunch of different tactics that didn't work. So the only thing that he could think of was to get rid of the husband so that he could marry the wife. And it just so happened to be one of his best friends. So he decided to kill his best friend so that he could marry the woman so that nobody found out that she was pregnant before marriage. And nobody found out that she was pregnant while she was married to another man. Coveting has been like a plague in the Bible since the very, very beginning. And in today's terms, we see the exact same thing. We see people's desire to have other people's stuff, and they will stop at nothing until they get what they want. We see, we see murder happen, we see adultery happen, we see theft happen, we see people get fired from jobs because somebody else wants to move up in the chain, and in the movies, we see this more portrayed as, may the best man win. 
that once you have something that you, that you don't really have, once you have something in your mind, it will only take a moment before it completely consumes who you are, and it will, you will stop at nothing until you get to that point. See, throughout the Old, the Old Testament scriptures, we see this over and over again. And Jesus confirms that these two commands are some of the most important commands that were ever taught. In Matthew 22, 34 through 40, it says this, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Where we have love the Lord your God, you know, put, put God in the first of your mind, soul, and strength, making sure he is the first in everything that we do. And then we have the second commandment, which is slightly like it, which, but it has to do with our relationship with each other, which is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Not putting your own interests above somebody else's, but your interests are even. Not where you would find pleasure in the fact of somebody else's thing, but you find pleasure on the same level, where you would not take advantage of your brother and sister. Even Jesus, in his teaching, made it a point to see how important the book ending of putting God first and not coveting is in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. But here's what coveting does to us. It sets a new course for your life. Throughout the Bible, we see God saying, and we see the prophets saying, we see Jesus saying, we see the apostles teaching, asking God, asking us to keep our eyes on God and follow his will. That is what God wanted for us. That's what Jesus wanted for us. That's what the prophets and apostles said. Just keep your eyes on God and follow him no matter what. The path has been set, and we need to go towards God because God is going towards eternity, and that is our path that has been set towards us, for us. But when you covet, your eyes are diverted to a new path. It's like a dog that gets a new scent in his nose, and it will stop at nothing until it finds whatever it is smelling. Once you desire it, once it's made an impression on your heart, it's very, very difficult to go back. It's very difficult to get off that path once it has been set in your life. God, at the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, started out with, you will follow me, you are first, and then it is you second. But God bookended it with the exact opposite. See, God, what coveting does, it says, God, you're going to put me first, and God, you're going to catch up as I go in my life. It's the, I can do whatever I want because I can ask for, for God for forgiveness later aspect of our life. And we know that there's freedom in Christ, and, and forgiveness is welcome to all who ask. We see Paul teach about that in Romans. But the thing that we need to understand is, but we first need to be in Christ before we can have this freedom. You can make an argument that every single story in the Bible, when somebody goes on a different path than what God had set for them, 
and they were derailed by the decisions that they made, it all has to do with coveting. That they desired and they, and they, they wanted pleasure in something else that was different than God's path. That even though they were set on the path before them, something in their way, they saw pleasure in another area. And they coveted and it began an oppression on their hearts and they derailed them from the main path that God had set in their life. It's almost like you could summarize commandments 6 through 9. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not, do not give false testimony. You can, you can combine all of those with this book-ending commandment of do not covet. Do not find pleasure in something that is not yours. Do not let your heart be diverted from the path that God has set before you. Do not put God second in your life and put yourself first. That all is encompassing with do not covet. But there's one story in, this, in, in Scripture that I have found that talks about a young boy who coveted the world rather than the path that God has set for him and his family. This is the one story where I kind of see it really go in line with what I see in today's church, and, I, and I'd like to read it with you today. It comes in Luke 15, and it goes from 11, and we're, we're going to read it in sections. So this is what it says in Luke 15, 11 through 19. It says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate, so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a servant of severe famine sorry, in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. To give a little more uh, back background information, we see that there's something called an estate or an inheritance, and we still use that today. Normally, it, it, it's, it's in charge of the head of the household where they will divide to their kids and their grandkids uh, whenever they are no longer able to take care of themselves, the estate goes to the younger children so they can kind of continue the household on the path that has been sent. Now, in this culture, it was very much you continued the, down the path that your, that your grandfather did, that your father did, and you continued to pass that information down to your kids. So it was natural for even though if the younger kid wanted his estate, he would continue in the family and he would make sure that everything that he did was best for the family and not for himself, that he valued his family above his own needs. But in this situation, he coveted something that had not been on the path that was set before him, that he coveted the things of the world. And it says that he squandered everything that he had. Instead of thinking of his kids, 
and even his grandkids in the future. He put himself first in trying to find pleasure in the world. And that leads us to the first thing about coveting. That pleasure of this world will leave you empty. The world doesn't care about the path that you are on. It only cares about its own path. And it will do whatever it can to divert you from the path that you are trying to be on and put you on its path where it becomes the God of your life. And it will direct you to something that is empty of this world. And we've seen that over and over, but here's where this story gets interesting. It doesn't just stop there. It says, so he got, got up and went to his father. But while he was on the way, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So when the son comes back, after going away and coveting something that was not on the path, they celebrated him. They didn't turn him away. They didn't talk about what he did. They didn't count all the money that he had and they, and they talked about all the things he lost. They didn't talk about the situation they put him in. They didn't talk about how he could have had this, but he chose this instead. They didn't do any of that. They threw him a party. See, here's the thing. People will leave the church because they covet freedom. Because they think that their ideas are better than God's systems. Hey, sometimes I believe that my ideas are better than God's systems. So I, I understand it. But just as God is merciful and gracious, and the Father in this story is merciful and gracious, we too, as the church, need to be merciful and gracious. And we need to also, number two, welcome all back to Christ. We have people that will leave and come back in the history of Elevate Christian Church. We'll have people that, leave, that will leave in a negative way and will come back. We'll have people that leave in a positive way and come back. But the people sitting in these seats and the people that, that are, are connected with Elevate Christian Church, we will react the same way that we see here in Scripture. That if anybody who walks through these doors, we welcome them back with open arms. We celebrate with their worship. We celebrate with their fellowship. And we as Christians at Elevate Christian Church need to make sure we are the most consistent people that we can be in those moments. I want to have the reputation like the father in this story. And I want to have, and I pray that my actions follow that reputation. Because at the end of this story, we see how most people will react in this situation. We actually see how most of us probably will react in this situation, when our brother comes back after squandering everything that he had, 
that coming back from a terrible situation because they chose the wrong choices, leaving the situation and putting themselves in a terrible situation and coming back and just looking for help, this is how the brother responds. And before I say this, I would like the band to come back up. It says this in Luke 15, 25 through 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, asked him what he's, what's going on. He said, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fat calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and furious to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a younger goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the catted calf for him? My son, the father says, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus, while he was here on this earth, made it very clear that his mission was to seek and save the lost. And to do that, he died on the cross for our sins so that salvation can come to anybody who comes to him. Salvation can come to anyone who has faith in the Son, Jesus. If this is our goal, then just like the first commandment, we need to make sure that we put our path on putting God first in our life that we need to make sure that everything that we do is going towards God, towards Christ. And that our second command is we do not covet. We do not find pleasure in things that are not God. But those who do, those who find pleasure and leave and come back, I pray that we have the actions that the Father did in this story and not of the sons. That we realize that people who put themselves in bad situations still need Jesus. That those who are in jail, as I've learned from my father-in-law, still need Jesus. That people on the streets still need Jesus. The people that go to LCA still need Jesus. The people that work at UK, the doctors and the nurses, and every different avenue at which UK brings still need Jesus. The people at Toyota, Toyota and Lexmark and, and IBM and, and all the different places that you can work in the horse fields, they need Jesus too. And the people who walk away from Jesus at some point still need Jesus in their life. And people who are completely different than you, that you might not get along with, that have different ideas than you, that have a different mindset than you, they still need Jesus as well. When someone comes through those doors, we need to fight everything in our body, not to look at them as though they did wrong, but open our arms and say, welcome back, 
and we throw a celebration and a party every single time. As we approach the one year of Elevate Christian Church, I think we've done a great job at that. I, and we're going to talk about this more uh, next week at the celebration. But I've seen a church come together and take part of not only uh, eastern Kentucky and the tornadoes, but also western Kentucky. I've seen a church gather around schools and take part and, and try to feed the kids during the summer um, when they did not have the school system to feed them for lunch and for dinner. I've seen people come around those who have lost people. I've seen people come around those who have had troubles in their life and frustration. I've seen people come around people they don't know who have had new kids and people who have welcomed new kids into their home. I've seen nothing but open arms in the first year of Elevate Christian Church, and I pray that we continue to have that reputation in year two, in year three, in year four, that if anybody ever leaves or if people that continue to stay here, that we greet each other with open arms the same way that Jesus did, the same way that God did, and the same way that we see the Father do in this story as we continue. Because we know that the most pleasure comes when we are on God's path. And the, and the path of this world does not give us pleasure at all, but leaves us completely empty. And I pray that we're a church that continues to go down God's path in everything that we do. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this study of the Ten Commandments where we start with putting you first and we end with putting others on equal ground with us and we do not find pleasure in the stuff of others and the, thing that you, and the stuff that you have given other people, but we find pleasure only in you. So that when somebody walks through those doors, we only see pleasure in their possibility of coming to Christ and we don't see pleasure in getting frustrated and mad about their current situation. God, I pray that we have the hearts of this Father in the story. We have the heart of you being gracious and forgiving in all situations. God, thank you so much for the Ten Commandments because they are still so relevant in our life. God, I pray we put you first in our life so that when we, we interact with each other, it makes perfect sense how we're supposed to treat each other. God, set, a heart, set our hearts on fire for you to share as many people about Jesus is possible for years to come. God, you are good, and I ask this all in your son's name.